Hi, hello and welcome to the Back to the Pavilion podcast, the first and original podcast to talk to former cricketers about their lives, careers and experiences since finishing their playing careers. Today we talk to a player who had one of the most famous retirements in recent times, when a rare heart condition forced him to retire aged just 26, having only just cemented his place in the England setup. A career cut brutally short, we don't know what he would have gone on to do, but join me now to find out what his career post-cricket has brought him as we welcome James Taylor back to the pavilion. It was the first anybody knew that I was ill was my retirement. Um, because I, I obviously got ill in Cambridge, got rushed into hospital, um, and then I proceeded to stay in hospital for the next three weeks. But I... I hid it from everybody for a week. I was in hospital for a week and I, I missed a, a game or two for Nottinghamshire, the first couple of games of the season or the, the second and third game because I got ill in the first game. Yeah. Um, so I, I hid it from everybody because I didn't know what was up and I didn't want to retire um, prematurely. I wanted to give myself every chance because in my eyes, I was still setting to get ready to play Sri Lanka in a few weeks' time. I, I just kind of cemented my place in the side. I'd played uh, the test against Pakistan. I just played five tests on the bounce, so I didn't want to give up my spot. And I'd worked so hard over so many years to get this spot. I wasn't going to give it up for anything. So as soon as I got rushed into hospital and the doctors were saving my life, I said to the doctor straight away, just get me back for three weeks' time against Sri Lanka. The guy, lovely uh, guy, knew his cricket that was looking after me. As soon as I got rushed in and told me I had an event, and I was like, what's an event? And he goes, do you know Fabrice Moamba? And I was like, yes, I know what happened. And he goes, well, that's an event. Um, i.e. a cardiac arrest kind of thing. Um, And that was when I said, look, just get me back for three weeks' time. Just get me back for Sri Lanka. Test match. I think it was at Lord's. Um, And it was, I would hit it from everybody for a week. And I was just like, I need enough's enough. I need to get on with the rest of my life. If I can't play cricket again, it needs to be done. They wanted time to think about the announcement and stuff. And I was like, to my agent, lovely man, uh, a guy that's, saved my life big time with Luke Sutton um, I said to him just get it done just get this announcement out there do what you need to do with the chief executive at Nottinghamshire uh, Lisa Persthouse who was also brilliant um, just get it done and they announced it within a couple of hours um, so just so I can move on with the rest of my life I'd hidden it for a week already lying in hospital I couldn't walk for a week I was so ill um, and I just needed to move on with the rest of my life. You talk about Luke there and, and Lisa um, how important for you was their support at the end? What, what did they do for you that got helped get you through it? Uh, I, I mean, I think um, I actually listened to your previous podcast, podcast with Jason and he mentioned a, like, a little snippet on mentors. And I think mentors in life are so important through no matter what age you are, you always need somebody to guide you, I believe. And if something's wrong, you need somebody to be able to turn to and rely on. Uh, that you respect their opinion uh, and advice they could give you that might help you and guide you in the right direction. And Luke, uh, when I got ill and uh, my life turned upside down, the two most important people in my life were my wife now, then girlfriend, Josephine, and Luke Sutton, who was my agent. Uh, He was phenomenal. Just pieced everything back together, pushed me in, in the right direction, pushed me maybe in directions that I never thought I would go into. I never thought I was going to go into the media. I thought that was the last thing I was going to do. But he pushed me, even though at times I might have been reluctant, he knew me as an individual and he pushed me gently, but hard enough to go in that direction. Um, And I trusted him uh, and he knew my capabilities as well. So the whole way along the journey of recovery and getting my life back on track and finding a new career, he was invaluable. Uh, what a lovely guy. Um, a guy that's had his own life experiences. So he's got experience and he's learned from things in his own uh, life that helped me massively. Um, one, first and foremost, just a lovely guy. Um, but he values the individual and he doesn't do things for himself. As an agent, some agents might get carried away about thinking about themselves and how it's going to impact them and help them financially or pushing them in the right direction. It was, was always about his client and I was his client, 
but also I was close to him as well um, through our journey of playing professional cricket, but obviously then more so as a relationship, um, as a mate. He was a mentor and an agent that got my life back on track, and I, I can't thank him enough uh, for doing that. Yeah, I mean, uh, I don't know if you've read his new book that's out. It's um, There's a couple of chapters in there about you, and that relationship really shines through that I think, it, how hard it hit him when you when you had your event. I think it shows that, like you say, that men he he sees himself as a mentor as well. I think it, that really shines. So it, it's an interesting to talk about Lisa Persas. I I used to work for Lisa when she was at Yorkshire, um, and I she I would always consider her a mentor as well. Would, did she have that level of hands-on role with you with being chief executive? Not was there much of a relationship there. I, I didn't actually have, obviously, she's, I knew she was a lovely lady and I knew she was also very good at her job. Like most cricketers would just be quite single-minded and I was, but I was, I had a little bit more peripheral vision than some as a cricketer. I don't get me wrong, I was very single-minded as a cricketer, but also I was aware of general stuff that was going on around me and I knew how good she was at her job and what a good job she was doing behind the scenes at Nottinghamshire. But I also knew that she had that personal touch as well. She was she was always very warm to speak to, very welcoming uh, and easy to speak to um, and and tough as well. She was she was tough, which you need to be in her position, um, as, as well as being very good at her job and being lovely. I didn't actually, if I'm going to be honest, I didn't have much to do with her after I finished, but she was always very welcoming. Whenever I wanted to go, same with McNeil, McNeil, whenever I wanted to go back into the change rooms or use their facilities, they were very, very good with me, um, which, which I can't complain. Uh, like I said, she's a lovely lady and does a very good job uh, at running uh, such a big county. Do you still have a good relationship with Trent Bridge and Nottinghamshire now? I know you're still quite local to there. Is it somewhere that you still feel welcome and, and part of the family? That's That was the thing. As soon as I walked, obviously I moved um, at the A46 to Nottinghamshire from Leicestershire. Leicestershire being a lot smaller club, but a club that I loved um, and owe a lot to. I wouldn't be in the position I am in now because I wouldn't have been so far uh, almost ahead of a number of people if left Leicester hadn't given me the opportunity but it was time to move on uh, to Nottinghamshire and uh, that was the first thing I noticed it wasn't yes I was moving to a bigger county with lots of international players and that was going to challenge me in lots of different ways but it was ever since I walked in the ground from the ground uh, from the groundsman to the the people that work on the gate to opening the gates for you to the guys in the pavilion opening the doors for you everybody was lovely and that's what I love so much about Trent Bridge is how nice everybody is and how welcoming they are from the guys that work on the gate to the security men to the staff inside the change rooms um it was it was so welcoming and so lovely and so warming um that goes to the chief exec as well so everybody that worked in and around the group of players doing the business on the pitch they were lovely and so welcoming and that was the that was a big thing that I noticed from stepping into Trent Bridge uh, and playing for Nottinghamshire, how lovely everybody was. And that's probably one of the reasons why I've stayed and lived in Nottingham, because I, I love the area um, as well as Trent Bridge itself. It is a great ground. Um, did you get what, on that decision? You, know, you made that decision, you're going to retire. And you, you said Luke was fantastic and the, the county was fantastic. Was there any, and, and you, you then, you know, girlfriend, now wife, who else was there supporting you at, at that point as you sort of had this life now ahead of you that you maybe hadn't expected? Um, you know what? Obviously, my family and my friends were brilliant. Um, like the people, I was always one of them that some, I knew somebody was ill in hospital and I was like, oh, I, I'm not, I can't go into hospital. I can't go in to see if somebody, not see if somebody's all right, but, if, if somebody really close to me was in hospital, I would 100% go and, and see them. But at the time, before anything happened to me, again, I was quite single-minded, thinking, oh, they don't want to see me in hospital. I'm the last person they want to see. I'm not going to add any value. Um, but uh, having spent three weeks in hospital, it's a long three weeks. Um, the thing that really got me through was obviously my wife. I mean, she stayed in hospital with me for three weeks it was incredible she stayed by my side she slept in hospital I mean I was incredibly lucky for them one 
the people, the doctors and the nurses to be able to let her sleep in the room, obviously on a camp bed and on the floor. Initially, she slept on the floor the first night. She was very lucky that I lended her one pillow. So she slept on the concrete floor for one night and then she remained with me for the, the rest of the three weeks. The only time she left my side in three weeks was for six hours and that was only to do journeys back to home to cook me food and bring the food back in. I mean, that's, that's incredible. Um, so that was when I knew I needed to needed to trap her down and put a ring on it um but um yeah sorry so the, what i was saying is that what got me through um was the people coming to visit me so i had so many visitors again they were so welcoming the the nurses the staff at uh, city hospital in nottingham to let visitors come in all the time i would love to have counted how many visitors i had and they weren't even like really, really close mates. It was just a number, obviously my close mates, but a number of different people that um, was even people like Brody's, um, Brody's mum uh, coming in. Like that, I, she actually taught me at school from a young age, but I knew her to speak to. Uh, and it was so lovely. People like uh, Brody's mum, Brody, like players, um, people that weren't necessarily really close to me that I was best mates with, but cheered me up when they came in. My mates driving down from London to come for an hour to cheer me up. That was brilliant. Um, so along with those people um, that made a massive difference, do you know what? It gets a lot of stick, but social media was so powerful for me. Because obviously as a cricketer, when uh, we were getting booed off the field at, at Wellington in the World Cup playing against New Zealand. Uh, you see the worst of social media. Yeah. You get battered when you don't do very well um, because of all the keyboard warriors. Um, but I saw the best of it. I, social media was unbelievable. When that announcement um, got sent out that I retired, this is exactly what I needed. I needed an ego boost. And because my ego had been dented so hard by not being a professional cricketer anymore, not doing or, or not like doing what I loved anymore, not doing what I'd worked so hard for to get to the top. And now I'd just been kicked back down to nothing. I didn't have a career. I didn't have any money coming in anymore. Once you're not a professional cricketer, you've got no money coming in, what you worked so hard for. Social media picked me up when I really needed it. Um, I had, I think I had, I've got the numbers on my phone, but I think in the first two hours of it being announced, I had 26 million uh, tweets, like 26 million uh, tweets about me or to me. Um, and it, it was phenomenal. It was so imagine what that was after 24 hours. Um, like I had Anthony Joshua messaging me. I had uh, so many different people getting in touch with me that I never dreamt would get in touch with me. Just when you think you were nobody anymore, it was just that ego boost that I really needed. And it was, if you'd ever thought what it would be like when you died, I died that day. It was, it was incredible to see the emotion and who's going to miss you. Um, so like I said, I can't say any more than other than an ego boost. And it was exactly what I needed. Uh, I spent the next few days uh, my phone crashed like so many times. The next few days I spent on my phone, um, replying to all the messages i tried to reply to as many as i could the letters that i got through my door the pile of letters that i got through my door i mean it's really i feel awful but i've got a box somewhere in this office that i'm in now of a box of letters that i still haven't opened i opened probably a hundred but i reckon i've got a few hundred left to open it's yeah. it, like people that i didn't think like me sent me messages and it, it was phenomenal really really nice just what I needed, really. <laughs> had you, you know, as you, you'd made that decision, had you done any planning prior to that? I mean, obviously, at, at 26, you've still got that international career ahead of you. Had you done any thinking or planning about what you were going to do when you'd finished playing? You know what? I was also listening to your podcast, and I heard you speaking about this, and I was like, I wonder, what, what shall I say? Shall I be honest? And I was like, yes, I'm going to be honest. <laughs> I, um, I, this is totally against the grain. And probably people won't like me for saying this, but I'm so glad I didn't do any planning for the future because I threw everything into being a professional cricketer and being as good as I could, whether it be fitness, whether it be nutrition, uh, whether it be strength work, uh, whether it be technical work, whether it be mental work. I did everything I could to be a better version of myself on the field. 
and give my so I always said train hard play easy I did everything off the field generally of course there's always things you can yeah. do do more but I'm not going to say I was perfect but I generally did everything I could uh, to make my life easier on the field um, so I'm so glad I didn't dilute my product as a as me as a cricketer by spending 10 15 percent on something else but I was only 26 don't forget I, I hadn't even played cricket in my 26th year I, I played that game that I was in that I had yeah. to retire in uh, that I had a cardiac arrest in um, but other than that my last game was in Kimberley where I scored 100 for England um, in a warm-up game against South Africa like that was when I was 25 so I hadn't really delved into those years where I needed to think about retiring um, so I'm so glad again going against the grain saying this I'm so glad I didn't prepare and didn't waste any energy on life after cricket I threw everything into me as a cricket player and me getting better um, however don't get me wrong in my later years I, I had good people around me. I had a lot of people advising me, um, whether it be about financial stuff, whether it be me as a character, what, if I got a little bit too giddy and a little bit too confident, there was always somebody there to beat me back down or pick me up if I needed picking up. So I had lots of good people around me. Um, so I would, have, I would have been guided in the right direction to prepare for life after cricket, but I was only 25, 26. I'm so glad I threw everything into cricket and to be the best version of myself on that cricket field as I could. Hence why, on people say, do you have any regrets? Yes, I could score more runs. Yes, I, I could have taken that catch or got that run out. But uh, there's, I've got no regrets. So I'm, I'm very lucky and content in my career. Uh, yeah, I, I know I could have played more times for England even by the time I was 25. But everybody can say that. But what I did myself, I, I, I've got no regrets. How did you then, you know, you, you'd not done any planning, any preparation. How did you go about exploring your career options following that? What was the, what was the rationale? What was the thinking then? Yeah, that's why my agent was so influ uh, influential, uh, Luke Sutton. Um, he, were, he pushed me in directions and he got me going. Uh, arguably, me in, um, in the combination of me and Luke and my cardiologist, we probably did things a little bit too early because I was really ill. I, I, I couldn't walk up a flight of stairs without feeling I was going to have a heart attack. I had no energy. I had no circulation for six months to a year. I was always cold. Um, and because I didn't know where my life was going, I didn't know where my next pain packet was coming in. Um, I probably pushed things a little bit too early. So um, for example, three month, three weeks after I had my major heart surgery and I had a defibrillated, defibrillator screwed into the bottom of my heart with two screws, I, three weeks later I was doing a Q&A at Leicester and I had another cardiac arrest. Like That was all because of worry and not knowing where I was going to be uh, in terms of money uh, for a number of different reasons. Um, so... I probably we probably did go a little bit too hard too early, um, but having said that, I learned so much about myself. I learned so much about my new body as well. Um, but it got me it got me going. And obviously, when we learned the balance of how hard to go and how busy to be and how stress is really bad for my body, um, my new body, we we learned to manage it. Uh, but it was Luke that did everything for me. Luke was my PA. He was my agent. He was my friend. He was my mentor. He, he, his diary. So my diary was his diary. He controlled my whole diary through his phone and it just came through to my phone, um, which was amazing. And also as, as well, he was, he was my friend, my manager, my mentor. He was also my mum and dad because he did everything for me. Um, and it was exactly what I needed to put me on the right path. Um, whether it was him or, organi organizing a car for me to pick up me, to take me to London, to do BT work, to do Sky work, BBC work. I couldn't drive. I lost my license for nine months because of my um, heart issues. Uh, so I needed a driver everywhere and he sorted me a driver. Um, he pushed me in these directions. He pushed me in the directions of working for the evening standard writing. Uh, I loved, I loved giving my opinion. I loved it. my work with BBC test match special again, giving my opinion, giving insight on the game. 
and that was the same with Sky, with BT Sport, uh, with a number of different things that I never thought I would get into slash enjoy. I loved, uh, and that was because I got pushed in those directions. Yeah, I mean, you took that. You, you you did work for the media. Was that just? Had you ever considered that as an option beforehand, or was it just I'm going to give it a try? Um, no, I hadn't. I, and, and I think, obviously, that was probably because I was 25, 26. These guys on the TV were still abusing me, telling me I was too small. Um, so I, I never thought I would go... I never thought I would be uh, not strong enough, but why would anybody want to listen to me? That's probably it. Age 25, you're thinking, ah, I can't string a sentence together. I'm not going to get involved in the media. Um, I never really thought about it. I thought, always thought coaching was something that I might do. And obviously I've done, I, I coached with Northampton. I've done a little bit with uh, Nottinghamshire, England on the 19s. I absolutely love my coaching. Um, I really enjoy that. And I think I've got a lot to add with the mental side of the game as well through everything I've experienced, one as a player, but my time since I've retired, I've learned so much. And um, and I think that will really help that combination as a uh, technician, as a batsman, my knowledge of the game, but also my experience of the mental side of the game, I think is invaluable as a sportsman. And I think I can really help individuals with that. So I love this, uh, the coaching aspect as, as well. But in terms of media, no, I, it wasn't something I thought I was going to get into. That's why I keep banging on about it. But Luke was so important. Uh, to push me uh, gently but hard enough in a direction uh, of the media. You talk there about coaching and the work that you do. It's interesting you talk about the mental side and the technical side. How, If you're coaching and doing a good job, how much is that balance between technical and mental? What for you when you're delivering that coaching? Is it 50-50 or is it more you know, 70-30 mental? Yeah, it's a hard one to calibrate and quantify in numbers but I think everything has a knock-on effect so from what you're thinking naturally your body will do something differently uh, so you'll get into different positions if you're scared of something if you're scared of that ball coming at you if you're scared of that ball coming at your head you're certainly going to get into different positions from whether you're really confident um, at the crease and you're not worried about something so that's why it, it, everything has a knock-on effect um, the mental side has a massive knock-on effect to the ten technical side. If you're thinking he's going to bowl it short or he's going to bowl it full, you're going to be doing something totally different. So that's why you have to be aware of your, yourself as an individual so much whilst you're at the crease. Um, I, I could honestly talk about it all day. I love it. Um, I'm not a very technical person, but you have to be efficient. Well, I, wasn't, I wasn't technically pretty. Um, I, I was technically efficient. I knew my game so well, and that's what it's about. It's about you knowing your game incredibly well. Whether you're a triathlete, whether you're um, playing pool, whether you're playing golf or cricket, you need to know you as an individual really well. When the heat gets turned up, when the pressure gets turned up, what do you do? Um, and uh, that's what I love. I, I love. That's why I love the mental side of the game, and that is it's directly connected to the technical side of the game. I mean, I know I'm going off on a tangent, but one of the most proud things I remember um, was the first game of the World Cup in front of 98,000 people at the MCG, England, Australia. I think I'm coming in at six. We're, we're four down early and we're up against it massively. First game of the World Cup, 98,000 people at the MCG, England, Australia. It doesn't get much bigger than that. Um, and we're up against it. They've just brought Mitchell Johnson back on because little old James Taylor's come in. Um, who they're not afraid of. He's, they're just going to knock him straight over. They've got a slip. They've, they've got two slips. They've got a gully. They've got a short leg in. And I'm going, come on, lads. This is a one-day game. <laughs> this isn't meant to be the case. And I'm like, I, I, of course, you get a little bit nervous, but I'm not usually too nervous. But I was nervous. I was, I was there at the crease, probably just taking guard, and I'm thinking, geez, I'm pretty nervous here. But then I went, no, I'll be all right. This is what I've done. Honestly, at the time, I thought, no, this is all right. I'll be all right. Because I'd done all those hours of training for these kind of moments. I'd, I'd uh, put myself in so many different scenarios, learned so many different things. 
and drilled my technique so much. Yes, I know when I get nervous, I know that my feet are going to move far too much. But also, I know that I've got a, an efficient technique and I know what my feet are going to be doing that it's going to get me out of trouble. I know my technique is going to get me out of trouble. It's not going to look pretty. And I know I'm going to move far too far over to the offside, but I'll be all right. And I was all right. And that was probably one of the most proud things I've done. 98 not out um, at the end of that game. Should, should have got 100, but a dodgy umpiring decision uh, that led to Jimmy Anson being run out. Um, it was So that was one of the proudest moments of my life. But that's talking about preparation and knowledge of your game that allows you to succeed in a pressurized situation. Um, and going on pressure, I'm, it's, a, it's a really interesting one when people talk about pressure, because I think when everybody mentions the word pressure, I'm like pressure, other side of pressure is opportunity. How good am I going to look when I get out of this, we're four down here early in front of 98,000 people. Mitchell Johnson, best bowler in the world, bowling the fastest um, anybody's bowled in years. How good am I going to look when I do well here? Yeah, it's the other side of the coin is, geez, we're four down. This is going to be bad when I get out five down. Mitchell Johnson's bowling 95 mile an hour. It's in front of 100,000 people. This is a big moment. We need to get off to a good start in the World Cup. Like, that's the other side of the coin. But I'm thinking, no, how good am I going to look? when we come out on top is those experiences that you've had and and you know you know one of the a selective thing inside those experiences that you've had how much do they help you when you're looking at players out on the the county circuit yeah i, I think uh, I, I massive, massively. I, I think all my experience. I, I'm one for getting as many experiences under the, my belt um, as I can because you never know what you can learn from. Um, when I was a player, I was still playing. Um, when I was playing test cricket, I was still playing club cricket because I never knew when I could learn a new shot or get confidence with a new shot. Playing in the Birmingham Premier League against uh, club. Uh, cricketers like I never knew when I could learn something it's like in life you never know when you can learn something through the worst possible thing that ever happened to me having a heart attack and losing my job and having to retire I learned so much and I learned so much about myself um and it's uh, it, all of that has made me into who I am which has allowed me to make better judgments in people and better judgments myself and that goes into the selecting um i've taken that into my role um i know what's important i know what's not so important um and and i know technique isn't everything i'm a big believer in it's not how it's how many it's the same in golf it's not how you look there's no pitch on the scorecard it's it's how long it takes you to get that ball in the hole um and it's the same with cricket it doesn't matter how it's how many and yes you need to have a competent and efficient enough technique to be able to succeed in international cricket against the bouncing ball against the extreme pace against the extreme spin you need to have an efficient technique to be able to deal with these things that gets presented to you in international cricket and I'm very much aware of them um, but also I'm aware of how important character is in an individual uh, how important they, what kind of a, do they have a positive impact on the team or do they take away from the team? There's so many things that come into uh, selection, looking at individuals rather than technique um, and numbers. It's psychology. It is a little bit about technique and skill, well, massively about technique and skill and ultimately the end product. Uh, but there's so many things that come into making our final decision and our judgment um yeah it's, it's, it's a fascinating world and it's brilliant and i work with so many great people in the selection world now uh, ed smith um, national selector amazing brain brilliant guy and very knowledgeable uh, guy as well um amazing guy at communicating as well and speaking and listening to um he's, he's done a fantastic job and i think we would complement each other really well um two very different thinking uh, people, which also uh, I think we really complement each other nicely. Uh, we always have 
we check and challenge each other all the time, yep. which is brilliant, which is really important. He respects it when I disagree. I respect mm. him when he disagrees. Um, Mo Bobat, um, performance director, outstanding guy. Um, very, very good at what he does. I've learned a lot from him. I, I think also we learn a lot from, we um, dovetail really nice between us and David Court, head of ID, um, talent ID, uh, great addition. We all work really closely. Uh, and then we have, I think the communication is so important in any walks of life. Communication is so important. I think we're closer um, and the communication with the counties and the head coaches and coaches all around the, the country is better than it's ever been uh, as well as with the communication with the players, which is vital. So they know where we stand. Um, but uh, as you mentioned, selection, I, I love it. It's brilliant and very fortunate to be in this position. And we, I think we've done a, we've done a decent job. Uh, number one in 50 over cricket, number one in T20 cricket. Obviously, um, really exciting phase in test cricket. Massive series coming up against Sri Lanka and massive winter. Um, yeah, it's a really, really exciting time for England, England cricket. And that's obviously not stating the fact that we won the 50 over World Cup. What does your day-to-day -day life look like as a selector? Is it, do you have, you know, are there things that you have to do every day or is it, you know, in the off-season quite low intensity but then more in the summer or? Yeah, I think that's pretty natural when there's not as much cricket going on in terms of for me to go out and watch in the, in the winter. It is it's going to be a little bit more low-key but my job is to watch cricket and understand individuals even better than I did the day before. So that means getting up, watching the big bash, uh, Jason Roy, Liam Livingston, Joe Clark, um, all at Perth. There's a nut, there's so many, uh, so many players in the big bash at the minute. Um, and I watch all those games. My job is to watch cricket. So why not? Sounds uh, awful. Yeah. No, why not be as good as I can and across everything? Um, so that means watching all the franchise cricket, being knowledgeable about my players that I'm looking at, um, understanding the guys coming through, which is vitally important. Um, and that stems from the under-19s all the way through. Uh, domestic cricket, Lions, international. Uh, now with franchise cricket, our life is, is, is probably even tougher than it's ever been because players are all over the country. But it's brilliant for us at the same time because these players are getting experience playing all around the world in all different conditions against all different types of bowling in pressurized situation. They're being overseas players in different teams all around the world in foreign conditions. It puts more pressure on them, which is ultimately good for us when it comes to us selecting them for England, because they'll be more used to more pressure on their shoulders. Um, so yeah, day to day in the winter, naturally it's a bit more watching TV, a lot on Zoom and a lot of phone calls with, with Ed and different coaches around the country and players, uh, and especially with the bubble life, that makes things a lot more interesting, uh, rest, rotations, uh, and keeping people fresh is always important, but even more so at the middle, minute with COVID and bubble life, uh, day to day in the summer when there's games on, I will be somewhere. There will yep. be, I'll be at a lot of, uh, a lot of counter cricket whenever it's on, along with the scouts that we have, um, along with Ed. Um, and if we miss anything, we've got everything. Like on my iPad, I've got, so often I'm sat at the Oval, Canterbury, Durham, watching the game live. I've got two screens up of, uh, Middlesex versus Nottinghamshire at Lords, uh, Somerset versus uh, Gloucester at Taunton. I've got these two computers watching the live feed mm. whilst I'm watching the game in front of me. I, I mean, with technology these days, you don't miss anything. And even like, I can remember uh, I was at a test match um, at Trent Bridge and I've got a live feed of a cricket match going on at my feet. Uh, so when people see me on TV at a test match, I'm very much aware of everything going on around the, the, the country. Um, and we're on top of people. We've got, we're always speaking to coaches. We've got a number of scouts feeding reports into us that we get on a daily basis. And it's not just reports uh, on the internet that they're doing, but they're ringing us up with speaking. So I think our knowledge 
of players, I think is as good as it's ever been because there's no excuse for it not to be. We've got everything at our disposal. Uh, now, one comms and communication with their coaches, um, with the scouts, with the psychologists. It's not just that, it's with the S&Cs now. We know how important fitness recovery is um, as well as their mental well-being. Uh, and then that's not even talking about the technical, the skill side of the game and how they're going to positively impact uh, the England team if selected. Was it difficult to be a selector of players who you used to share a changing room with? You know, like I know Chris Wokes is a really, really good friend. Is it difficult to be a selector when he's in the England record? You know, would, if you had to phone him up and say, I'm sorry, Wokesy, but you're not in the next squad, is that is that easy no, or difficult? I- no, I, I'm pretty matter-of-fact kind of guy. It's pretty straightforward. You just have to be honest, and they know that. Like, they know. And players, if you're not honest, they lose respect for you very quickly, as is anyone in the world. If you know somebody's trying to pull the wool over your eyes, it's no good for anybody, no matter what walk of life you're in, in business or in sport. Uh, and I've always been honest, and I, I will be. And that's the only way it can be. Um, so there's never been any issue. They understand it. I understand it, um, and, and that's the way it is. It's pretty straightforward. I understand why people think it, it's not. Um, it might not be, but it, it, it is very straightforward, and honesty um, is, is paramount, and it, it wouldn't be any other way. Uh, and I think I'm very lucky because my knowledge of the current game, it should be as, as good as it is because there's nobody ever been this close to um, a career as me in selection because the game changes so much and it is so important to be on top of it all the time and because I was so close to it because I know these guys so well I hope and I think I, I bring I bring a lot to the party when you when you make a selection maybe a you know a left field selection one that people didn't see coming and it pays off does that give you a buzz yeah I mean we we make selection potentially selection decisions most days and how like yeah naturally but it's really interesting like something you notice as a player when we're sorry when you're not a player it's not about you and there's one thing you have to take the ego out of it it's like the first thing i realize as soon as i finish playing cricket it's not about me um it's as a coach it's not about you it's about the player and it's about the team. It's got nothing to do with me. Yeah, it does. Ultimately, me and Ed Smith are making the decisions, but it's about how can we have a positive impact on the England cricket team? And if they succeed, it's not going to be, oh, one Ed Smith and James Taylor brilliant. It was the players. It's all about uh, the players and how can we positively impact this England cricket team? And I don't think we'd be in this job if it was about us. It's 100% about the players and it's the same it's similar when you move into the coaching world if if it's still about you as an individual you've got a serious issue and you're not going to go very far in the coaching world because that stands out like a sore thumb uh, if it's about you because I've worked with plenty of coaches when I was a player that it is about them and that is not a good place to be and that's the same as a selector um, naturally it feels good if you, if you make a decision especially if people aren't seeing that uh, and it's not an obvious decision, um, but it's certainly not about us. It's about the players and having a positive impact on uh, you, on team of cricket. You talk in your book about sort of replacing, you were always a very competitive person, replacing that. Um, you've replaced it with golf. Um, how important for you is golf in your daily life as a something that, that keeps you going? Honestly, it's changed my life. Uh, I, I, don't, I don't know where I would be without it. It sounds really trivial and really bizarre for me to say that, but from exercising all your life and all you know is exercising and kicking a ball, throwing a ball, hitting a ball, and to have that taken away from you and never being able to do that again, imagine what that's like for somebody's mental state. I mean, I was in as good a place as I could ever be after being told your world's upside down. I couldn't walk for a week. Like, I couldn't walk up a set of stairs. I could never run again. I could never drink alcohol again. I could, every time I cross the road, I have to think twice about it because of my heart. 
um, like whether to shuffle, whether to jump, like you wouldn't, you would never think twice about crossing a road. I always think twice about 70% of the things I do in life now uh, because of my heart. Um, and golf is one thing that I can do and it is unbelievable. I'm, I'm naturally a very competitive person. Um, the one thing with my condition, I can't be competitive because that ups your heart rate, it ups your adrenaline. Uh, but what golf it allows me to be as competitive as I can be because my heart's at a pretty low state as it is playing golf. You're just cruising around the golf course, hitting a ball. It doesn't get too stressful apart from over a three foot putt to win the game <laughs> on the 18th. Um, but it, it's very similar to cricket. So it's replaced that in a, in a weird kind of way because it's a very technical game. It's a very mental game, just like cricket. And I've transferred all my skills into that. And it's allowed me to take something up from scratch. Um, and like I can remember being in my hospital bed and the doctor told me, I can't do this, I can't do that, I can't drink, I can't exercise again, um, I can't, whatever, I can't go in a swimming pool jacuzzi anymore because what's in my chest, it will react with the pool pumps, etc. the pumps and these things that people don't understand. Um, and I was like, so what can I do? And he goes, ah, oh, you can play golf. And I was like, bloody golf. That's for old men. I'm not going to play golf. Because uh, I hated it. Up until I got ill four years ago, I was like, not a chance of playing golf. My missus was like, go on, give it a go. And I was like, I'll give it a go. So I gave it a go and fell in love with it. I was like, I went on the range. I was like, how easy is this? Oh, I'm going to be a pro in no time. And then I got on the course and I was so embarrassed because I'm, I'm a professional sportsman and I can't even hit this ball straight. Um, and the ball was going everywhere. I was hitting the ground before the ball. Uh, and I was so embarrassed. I refused to play with anybody uh, unless they played with me that first day for like the first five months. And I would only play on the same course until I got better. Not that I'm competitive or not that I'm proud of being a sportsman or anything. Um, so it got better and better and it honestly changed my life. Uh, I've had a simulator built in my house. Um, I've got a little putting green outside that my, my wife bought me for Christmas. I, I love it. And if, if I didn't have a full-time job, I'd be a lot better golfer. Um, <laughs> but I'm, I'm all right. I'm down to, I'm down to 0.9 now. So um, I just don't have time to play in competitions. So your handicap comes down in a competition. That's the only way it can come down. When you get to category one, it's the only way it can come down. Um, but I love it, mate. It's, it's changed my life. It really has. And it takes you to some amazing places in every world. Uh, sorry, in every country that you play in around the world, you can play golf and you see some beautiful scenery. It's my exercise as well. Without golf, I don't really, I, I don't exercise too much. So the walking around the course is my exercise. Um, so it keeps my my gut, my belly under control a little bit. So you're a better man than me because I, I mean I play. I would never. I'm never going to get anywhere near your handicap. But when I shank one, I can feel my rage build. So uh, yeah. <laughs> that I'd, I'd be I'd, I'd be nervous. Um, you you talk about that in your book a lot, and and that replacement. Your book's fascinating and, and really open and honest. Was that important for you to do to? to get your story out there in, in book four? Yeah, I, yeah, it was. It, I mean, I'm not fussed. People came to me to write. I had a number of people come to me about writing a book, which was a compliment that felt really nice. Um, and I, I started writing the book with a couple of different people and it just, it, it didn't work out for lots of different reasons. It's very complicated with what I was saying in my book. I mean, there's a lot of things that people don't know about insurance, legal stuff. And there were certain things. Um, yeah, that's why, that's why the book fell through a couple of times before, because it just wasn't right with yeah. lots of things going on with the insurance side of things and with the legal side of things, it just didn't work out. But, um, when it got round to writing it, I love being honest. I love saying what I think. Uh, and I certainly was honest in the book. Like there was lots of things people didn't know about me in the book. And I just love giving insight, uh, whether it's about the game or whether it's about things that people might not know. Uh, I certainly don't know everything, but I, I find that some things quite interesting and I like being honest. Um, and that's why I love being in the media as well. Um, you can say what you think. And I, I only want to do things that I enjoy and I think I can add value to. 
and hopefully I did that in the media and if my time comes again in the media I can I can do that but in my book it was an opportunity for me to be honest and tell stories about my my past which led to where I am now that people wouldn't have had a clue about uh, they only see you on the cricket field and they don't know you as an individual uh, which I found quite interesting um and also, obviously, the insurance side of things was quite a big thing for me um, because that had a big impact on, like, me. For example, having my first uh, effective heart attack since, since my original one was stress because I didn't know where I was. I was pushing my body, doing things that I shouldn't have been doing because I didn't know where my life was at. I didn't know what money was coming in because I thought I was covered um, by insurance, but I was, it was so out of date. Um, that I was so out of pocket, effectively, you think you're covered, you're, you're paying these policies, you're, provi you're provided with these policies and you think you're covered, but you're so, um, so not covered, shall I say. <laughs> um, so that's, that was also a big part of writing the book, so people understood. So I kind of highlighted areas that could improve, that need to improve, and I wanted to help people in the future. And that's, one with insurance policies help them and hopefully they've literally ripped all those insurance policies and because they were 25 years out of date and hopefully um, uh, made them better but also about helping people with heart conditions and also helping myself I knew as a cricketer if I was struggling with cricket there's nothing worse than bottling it up because you're battling enough with the game you don't need to battle with yourself and that's why I choose to speak about things it's so important to um, talk and be open and to free your mind up as um, as well as everything else so I chose to speak about it to help others as well um, the amount of people I speak to that get in touch over social media honestly like hundreds thousands of people speak to me on social media direct message me and I love to be able to help them because they see me on social media and because I'm open about it they contact me to help them um, with different feelings they have different heart issues whether it's be their their dad that's got this whether it's their son that's got this i speak to lots of different people yeah. to try and help them i meet up with people when i can have a coffee um just to exchange stories exchange feelings like the feelings that i get in my body now i've I, i'm different than i've ever had before my heart every time i lie on my left side in bed i feel my heart i get topic beats twenty-four thousand times a day like these different feelings, I get different feelings in my head because of like my uh, blood pressure, my low blood pressure. Every time I get up out of a seat, I feel like I might faint because of like these are different feelings that people don't understand unless they've got it. And hopefully with me talking about it, people have somebody that they can relate to and they can pick up the phone, they can text and I may be able to help them. So that's another reasons why reason why I wrote the book, being honest and telling my story so people can understand that they might not be the only one having those feelings because I've spoken about it. I know um, you're an ambassador for the British Heart Foundation as well. Is that now something massively important to you, the work that you do with them? Yeah, I, I, I love that. I love my like work. Yeah, I, I do. I'm not going to say I do loads of work with them. I would love to do uh, more work with them. Uh, but the stuff that I do do with them is really like inspiring because I love like this the people out there, the, the things that they do to help others is, is extraordinary. And I, I do a tiny bit. I, I would love to do more. Um, but the British Heart Foundation is an amazing charity that's ultimately saved loads of lives every year, every day. Um, with the research that they do, it's incredible. There's some amazing people that work for the charity and the impact they have for other people on other people's lives uh, is, is, is incredible. And as a sportsman, you don't know, you've got your blinkers on. Um, yeah. You're in your lane and you're not looking anywhere else. And until something happens to you and it broadens your horizon, it opens your eyes a little bit more and your peripheral vision's greater. You don't understand it until that happens. And I didn't, uh, I'm honest, I, I didn't understand about charity. I, I looked at charity and thought, oh, that's a lovely touch. But until you realize the impact it's having on people's lives, like uh, you're living a very sheltered life and it, it certainly helped me because I was like that. I, I didn't know. Um, and I think that's natural. If, you, if you've never been in these situations and you haven't broadened your horizons, you don't know. 
um, and I was like that and now I understand a little bit more I can definitely understand a lot more um, but it's an amazing charity and I really enjoy um, doing bits and pieces for them. I mean you talk about there you know when you're on the field do you still you know have on-field highlights that you sit back and, and think about those bits that live long in your memory? Uh, yeah yeah of course I mean again it's that's it you do you know what the hardest thing is it, like the hardest thing is getting over the ego dent ever since you retire you've I've lived my whole life being the best at something whether I was at school I was the best at football rugby cricket then you go on to county and you gradually become the best in your county whether it's age groups academy um, Nottinghamshire Leicestershire you're always the best if not one of the best and it's um it's tough when you're not you're used to being that professional sports and walking down the street and goes some like oh, he, play, he plays for knots or he plays for england you're not that guy anymore and what you have to get your head around that and you have to get your head around not being invincible anymore because my body's failed me the one thing i was really confident about was the way i looked physically if i took my top off or my how strong my body was but ultimately it was strong enough to keep me alive because I shouldn't have survived what I did. But now I'm not confident in my body whatsoever. Uh, so it's funny how things flip around. Um, and I do love looking back at things. Um, but I would love to be the best again. I would love to be that guy playing for England, what I worked so hard for. Um, but at the same time, I, I love it. And I love, I'm glad I had those moments because I finished at the top. I finished playing for England. Uh, and I, that didn't get taken away from me, apart from like no selector bin me, <laughs> no selector deselected me. Um, and I was, I was at the top when I finished. Obviously, what happened to me was an absolute nightmare, but I survived and I was incredibly lucky to survive. Um, but I'm very lucky that I live a really good life. Yes, I've had everything taken away from me that I worked 26 years for, but I live a great life. I've I've got a brilliant wife. I've got a nice house. Like, I can't complain with my life. And I'm very lucky to be content. Yeah. Like, um, of course, there's things like that. I, I would, there's always things that you can want. But I think as long as you've got an element of satisfaction and contentment in life and you're happy and you enjoy what you do, I like that. That's brilliant. And I do. I love what I do with work. Um, and, I, I lead a pretty pretty good life, so I can't complain. But the playing side was brilliant, and I'm glad I, I had that. I always try and find, whenever I interview someone, something that you did once in your cricketing career. You bowled one first-class maiden in, <laughs> in, in your career. Do you remember it? Do you remember who faced it? Oh, my God goodness do you know what that's the most disappointing you talk about regrets i have no regrets in cricket but how i didn't get a first class wicket i will never know i bought a lot of overs and i tried really hard as well um i got a number of like white ball wickets uh, including a forfer yeah um, and got chris rogers out in one of those and i've got chris wokes out i've got ricky clark i've got a number of rival wickets, but I tried really hard in Red Bull cricket, in first class cricket, and I never got a wicket. I know, so I don't know who was that. I've no idea. I couldn't. My, oh, you don't know. Oh, I don't I don't know. Know. my, my database doesn't tell me. It just says James Taylor, one maiden in first class cricket. I, I, it's disappointing because I had, I should have more. You know, Alistair Cook asked me in a test match. Um, it was at Cape Town, and he asked me to bowl. And I said, I can't. <laughs> I, I, was, I would have been too nervous and, because I bowled leg spin. And I, hadn't bowled, I had a really bad shoulder, so I hadn't bowled for a, a, about a year. So I didn't know where that ball was going to go. And add nerves on top of it. I was just like, I can't. There's a lot of people watching this game. I cannot. So I refused to bowl and uh, Alex Hales bowled instead of me. Um, so, yeah. There you go. Do you, I mean, I mean, I can see. I mean, the people listening to the podcast can't. I always ask if you have memorabilia from your playing days up around the house. I mean, I can see a signed England shirt and a, a photo montage behind you. Is is that it, or is there more stuff from your playing days you up and what? around? That's very un me. I have this 
because this is my office um and these are things that people so that's my the the shirt that signed was my first shirt um from lords first test i played at lords it was actually my second test i'm so bad with memorabilia it doesn't really interest me it's really bad it doesn't interest me um i've actually got a signed um a signed shirt there and uh i've got my playing shirt up there in a frame uh, in england one that chris wokes got me um like just after i retired he framed it and framed pictures underneath and that was probably my best that's probably my best piece of memorabilia i've got that he did for me um but i'm not i'm not i've got loads of memorabilia just stashed but i i'm not a big like they're in the garage I, it doesn't bother me memorabilia like my england cat i mean that's it's mega it's actually on the side here i've got but I've only done, I've only put that up just so I don't lose it. Mm. Like it doesn't, I, I, I'm very proud of what I did and it's great to have one uh, or a few pieces yeah. of memory, but it doesn't, it's not going to change the fact that I played for England or anything like that. It's pretty cool, but it doesn't, I'm not massive one for memory. I, I think so, cause obviously having never, me never, having never played professional sport, I, I have cricket memorabilia up around my house. I, this is a little bit embarrassing. I have a signed photo of you in my house. Um, and it's well, a signed photo of you and Will Jefferson. And it's <laughs> the, one, the one where, you know, the kind of the, the you batting with Will. And, um, and you signed it for me and Will signed it for me at, oh God, at Garren Park in Southend years ago. Oh my God. Do you know what happened? There's a first. That, okay, there's the first view. Wasn't that uh, Leicestershire versus Essex? Yes. Yeah, and wasn't that was my first? Okay, there you go. That was my first game that I captained. Yep. Leicestershire. There you go. There's the first view. Um, that was my first game that I captained Leicestershire. It was all go swimmingly well until they. I mean, let's say we got two fifty, three hundred, three fifty. They went and got five hundred or something. Uh, and then we got bowled out for 28. <laughs> that was my first game as captain for Leicestershire. We got bowled out for 28. Oh, it was that, that. I mean, that was. I think I, I like an outground, but I, I, that was a windy, desolate <laughs> kind of. Place. It's not. It doesn't bring back happy memories for me no. at all. But yeah, so I, I have a photo of you and Will signed on in my office wall. Just so you can laugh at it because I'm so, I mean, I'm small anyway, but geez, he is massive. He is such a big man and we battled a lot together. Mm. Um, yeah, he, he's a lovely bloke. He's a really nice guy. I, wanted, I always think about those guys that hit the ball hard, like, but orthodox hard because everybody can hit the ball when they're really trying to munch the ball and slog it. Everybody can hit the ball hard. But orthodox, playing a proper straight back shot, he hit the ball as hard as anybody I played with. Him and Craig Keyswetter, Probably hit the ball as hard as anybody I had played with. Um, he was he's a lovely man, Will Jefferson. Big, big man, and made me look very stupid <laughs> on a number of occasions. <laughs> um, I always ask about squad numbers as well, James. I, I, in my head, there's I built up this picture that every professional cricketer picked the number that they wore on the back for a, you know a really big important reason. And if this podcast has done anything to me, it's completely destroyed that idea. Everyone okay. just kind of goes, "No, I've got given it." You wore. You wore nine at Leicester, you wore 38 and then four for England and four at Notts. Is there any story behind those numbers or any reasoning behind them? Okay, I'll let you guess. Okay, number nine. Why would I have worn number nine? You that was were, why I picked that shirt. You were a scrum half at school, which is what I was going for. There you go. See, I was, I was the glory man. So I was a scrum half that never passed it to anybody, always did the dummy and went blindside to score the try. And then I was the goal scorer in inverted commas uh, in football, like tried to be. I loved football um, and obviously wouldn't pass to anybody, would just try and score on my own. Uh, that little guy up front. And yeah, so that's, that's exactly the reason. Scrum half and uh, up front uh, tried to score the goal. So that's, and I was always number nine. So that's why I went number nine. Number four at knots was because I batted number four. Um, and that was probably the position that I batted most. And that's why not have number four where you're going to bat. Um, and number nine was, I think,
think number nine might be taken, but that was the first time I had a choice, a bit more of a choice anyway. Mm -hmm. Moving to a big club is like a decent signing. So I was like, I'll have number four. Uh, number 38, I would like to say there's more of a story to that, but that's, there you go, James, you're number 38 when you're <laughs> like, like as a 19 year old playing for the Lions for the first time, you need a number. So 38 was given to me. Uh, then when I had a little bit more power and I played a few more ODIs for England, I would, number four came up and then load of the boys. I would, I would have been a bit too shy to say, I'm going to change my number um, and I'm going to go for number four, one of the main numbers in the side. Uh, but everybody else was doing it. So I was like, right, I'm going to grab number four. Um, because again, that was my knots number. It was a close position to where I wanted to bat for England. I ended up batting most, probably number three. Um, but that was the reason I went number four uh, for England. And, and at least there's a story it, it, when people just kind of go, no, because I, like, oh. I everywhere I've played, I've always worn 19. So and because of Gaza at the Italian 90. Um, so I, I think because I have that story, I, I always want to put like people, no, 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 just get got given it. <laughs> <laughs> what what advice would you give to a player starting out in the career now? If you were coaching a, a young player start of their professional career what would you say to them um I, okay two things that probably go into one thing uh classic cliche everybody says oh enjoy it just enjoy it but i'm saying enjoy it for a reason enjoy it because that's great like everybody else is saying enjoy it but i'm saying enjoy it because if you don't enjoy it you won't be good at it because if you don't um, yeah, some people will enjoy it for different reasons, but enjoy it because then you'll train hard at it. I'm talking if you want to be elite, if you want to be get as good as you can get, enjoy it because then you'll train hard at it. And if you train hard at it, you'll get better at it. And if you get better at it, you'll enjoy it more. Um, I that's what I believe. That's obviously my professional mindset, and I'm saying what I'm thinking. Um, and I would say throw everything into it. My other thing, throw everything into it. You, life is very short and especially life as a sportsman is very short. So why not give it your best shot? You've got all day, well, you've got so many times where you can have a drink, you can get pissed, you can go on a night out. You've got so many opportunities to do that, but you haven't got many opportunities in the day where you can train really hard. Like, um, like just train, train hard, throw everything at it. It's a short career and there's lots of great things that come that can come through working hard and being good at something, money, lifestyle, traveling around the world. It's a great life to be a professional sportsman. And it's a lot easier being a professional sportsman than having to worry about everything else that you would in a normal life. Um, as I know now, playing sport is a lot easier than everything else that you have to deal with. Yeah, you've got pressures that people don't understand because there are a lot of pressures, but it's all relative. If this is your world, there's pressures in that world and you don't quite understand the pressures in the other world, but there's a lot of pressures being a professional sportsman on this side of the game that people don't understand because it's all relative, like everything in life. Um, but I would say throw everything at it. Train as hard as you can, train hard, play easy. That's what I would say. What about someone sort of coming to the end of their career? Not, you know, if late 30s and last year of the contract, what would you be saying to them? Um, I think it, I, I would enjoy all those last moments uh, and cherish those good moments because you don't have many. I think make the most of those good moments and really, mem like, really remember those good moments and like enjoy them because they're soon finished and if you're in your last career last year of your career they're going to be finished in six months time so make the most of them and and enjoy enjoy those those moments with your teammates with yourself um and also get yourself ready like you say i i didn't i'm glad i didn't prepare for life after cricket because i threw everything into um what i did and to be better as a cricketer but i was only 25 26 but if you're coming to the end of your career and and you're not one of the best like and you know that career might be coming to an end um i think yeah be wise be sensible um and invest in yourself that's what i'd say invest in yourself and invest in your future um and yeah and be sensible be smart i remember hearing the news that james had been forced to retire 
and also remember the shock and sadness that I felt for a player who I always respected, admired and, and felt that was going to go on to be one of the game's greats. The opportunity to talk to him for the podcast was just an absolute pleasure. I loved every minute and something that will stay with me for a long, long time. James is a wonderful bloke and an inspiration to everyone. If you haven't had the opportunity to read his book yet, please do. It's called Cut Short and it is an open, honest and candid read. One that I couldn't put down and one that I will read again. Next time on the Back to the Pavilion podcast, we have a first as we welcome our first ever former women's cricketer back to the pavilion. The only player to both play in and umpire in a Cricket World Cup. So join me to find out about that and so much more as we welcome Sue Redfern, MBE, back to the pavilion. That's all from me for now, so please do take care of yourselves and others. Stay safe, be kind. Bye-bye for now.